Welcome to Eastlake. We are an inclusive faith community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, seeking to live out a more just and life-giving spirituality in the modern world. We see faith as less about doctrines and dogmas demanding total agreement, but a life to be lived, enjoyed, and given away to others. What unites us is a growing awareness that life is a gift and love is the point. We welcome the entire human family, regardless of race, age, creed, physical abilities, marital or economic status, gender identity, or sexual orientation. So if you are curious and have come to see, if you are tired and have come to rest, if you are grateful and have come to share, if you are journeying and have come to grow, if you are wounded and have come to heal, if you are joyful and have come to shine, welcome home. Today, we hear from Bevan Walters as she continues our series on parenting. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining this podcast and this recording of Q&A with our friend Bevan Walters. Kristen is here, and my name's Peter, if we've never met before, and we're just so pumped to kind of wrap up this series. First of all, I hope you hear a big thank you from us, Bevan. Um, well, spoiler alert for everybody. I've already been through a lot of this stuff um, because Bevan is our parent coach, has helped Brittany and I in the, our journey of parenting four children and going back through some of this content was new and some of this was stuff that I've been through. It was such a helpful reminder of some things that I still am not fluent in and things that I'm still working on. And so what we're going to do today is basically just have a conversation with Bevan and have some discussion. Um, Some of them are just high level questions that came in from everybody uh, or that Kristen and I had. And then we also are going to dive into some of our takeaways and have some discussion around all that stuff. So uh, we're excited to wrap up the series. Thanks again. The content is so helpful and challenging. And so just thanks for being here and being a part of it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for asking me. Um, it was a really great um, opportunity to be able to reach out to an audience I'm not familiar with and share kind of like what I'm passionate about, which is parenting and supporting our kids. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for the opportunity. For sure. Well, I think, Kristen, do you want to start or do you want me to throw out kind of the first question that was on my brain? We can go I'll a lot throw of out, I'll throw out the first question that has been on okay. my brain. Um. And Peter and I, like spoiler alert, Peter and I have young kids. <laughs> and so we basically were like, this series is fantastic, even if it's just for the two of us. <laughs> Seriously, we needed the, it. And the like things that I send my husband and I'm like, oh, listen to this. Or did you did you hear that? Um, but one of the things that we were talking the other day about is I wanted to ask you, Bevan, just this high level question about is diving into parenting and emotional intelligence and child development and our own like reparenting ourselves and all of the things that happen if we're paying attention. Um, is that like a privileged position to be in just in itself? Because I feel like I have, I have walked through villages in developing nations and I don't think that they are, as concerned 
with their uh, the emotional development of their two-year-olds because they're trying to figure out what food is going on the table. So I guess I just want to start high level. Like, is this a privileged position to be in? How important is it? Um, is this an American thing? I just wanted your opinions about that. Yeah. You know, I think it's such a great, interesting question. And I think, um, you know, I think it's kind of like yes and no. Um, I think it kind of got right there to the the idea there that when you're talking about other cultures, um, those cultures probably don't even have the equivalent word in their language for parenting. (laughs) We made up this, you know, we don't have words like, you know, sistering or friending, like, but parenting somehow became a word in our vocabulary that didn't exist several generations ago. We made it this verb. I bet those cultures don't have an equivalent word. It's just what they do. Um, And of course, this is a very broad generalization, but um, our Western culture, American culture is really focused on individuation is really focused on like one child, one person, one, it's, it's really hyper-focused on independence. That's like a really high core value for a lot of Americans and a lot of people, people in Western cultures. Um, a lot of cultures around the world, like you're referring to are really structured around interdependence. You know, the whole idea of like taking a village, to raise mm-hmm. a child stemmed from kind of that idea of it really like the, it's all of our children and this idea of, you know, it, it's not something you have to think so much about because they're just doing it's more instinctive in a lot of traditional cultures. Um, so many Americans are trying to adult adopt, you know, things they've observed in cultures around the world that, you know, an American, it's weird that you co-sleep with your child and then come to find Mm -hmm. actually the majority of the world does. And that's not saying, oh, I'm an advocate for co-sleeping or not. It's a very personal choice, but people are looking at these cultures and saying, gosh, like maybe this is, there is something there. So Mm -hmm. I think in terms of, is it privileged? Well, I think within our own culture, that's where I think, yes, there are some people that are in such a position of just survival that they're they're surviving. They're just being able to feed the child their children feels like a privilege. So the fact that we can sit back, be comfortable, feed our you know children, and have you know employment, and then buy all the books on the bookshelf about parenting, and you know, take parenting classes and workshops, and really invest in this, that is a position of privilege that comes mm-hmm. with being able to have. Um, you know, your other needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you talk about other cultures, I don't, I think honestly, like we're the one that might be disadvantaged. And the fact that we are mm-hmm. having to learn something that in other cultures is more intuitive and instinctive. Yeah. As you're sharing now, I was thinking too about how, how individual parenting is, whereas in like previous generations or pre- in different cultures, it was a lot more of a community-based parenting approach. Like a lot more people were involved in the parenting process. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like, I mean, my, we were talking, Chris and I were talking about this, about, about mom guilt versus dad guilt. And like mom, some moms can want to or can stay at home with the children mm-hmm. and how that can create, like, if you think about the differences between that versus like kind of a, a multi-generational type of living experience or aunts and uncles involved or just different cultures. Um, that's a big burden for one person to carry for maybe two kids at home for 12 straight hours. 
right? That is a, yeah. like, that's, that's why we need coaching. It's like, how do I manage this, the stress of that experience where that stress might not even be there? Should we choose to parent differently or if our culture wasn't as individual? Uh, we all didn't live in one house as one, you know, type of family unit. So it's just interesting to think about. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. It does take, um, there is this element in uh, when you have a village, mm -hmm. you have grandparents who are parenting and they have a different perspective and wisdom from their experience. And you have neighbors and you have aunts and you have older kids and people are together. So um, I think younger kids are exposed to so many different ways of being in the world where, like Peter said, if you have a primary caregiver, like our system kind of operates, there's like usually a primary person who's doing the kid duties, then it is a lot of pressure on them to manage, you know, discipline and food and everything, all the things. So it's yeah. like one person for a child versus a whole group of people who are able to share that burden. It's very true. And it's, um, it's not always been this way, um, even with our own culture, that it really kind of was a product of, you know, back kind of industrial revolution and opportunities and jobs mm -hmm. that people started kind of moving away from their families of origin to pursue opportunities. And the kind of what has kind of unfolded from that is kind of the current society we're living in where, yeah, it's pretty rare nowadays for parents to be raising their children, you know, within blocks or even within the same city as their parents, their siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, that like the people who are best equipped to be able to share in the responsibilities of raising children. That's pretty rare these days. Um, and like that, that is the ideal, but like, what about when we don't have that, which most of us don't, what what then does it all fall on one maybe two people maybe people are able to you know hire somebody to be a, a nanny or an au pair or you know bring another person in for extra help um which of course can release some of the burden and solve and relieve some of the pressures but it's not the same thing as mm -hmm. family and that inter intergenerational kind of raising of of children, which again, stems all the way back to kind of the deep connection piece of the three D's, that attachment, that's just inherent when it's family. And mm -hmm. um, you can have attachment certainly, and hopefully you do between your children and their caregivers and teachers and their coaches and um, your close friends that feel like family, there can be great relationships. So one of kind of the big um, kind of challenges is thinking about how how do I create my village in this non-ideal, you know, less than ideal, um, perfect utopian idea of raising amongst our family members. And it is to kind of embrace that idea of community and find, um, you know, lean on each other, find people who can kind of fill in those kind of roles that you would see in that kind of um, system, be less like isolated and feel like there's something wrong with you when you're like, why is this so hard? I should be able to do this. Listen, I was a classroom teacher. I had 32 kids at one point that were, you know, my students and I could do it. It was really hard. I could do it. But then I was there struggling with one, two kids and now have four, but like 
why was it so hard? Well, I was doing it pretty much alone and thought I should be, you know, with my husband, but I was the primary person and thinking I should have this figured out. Well, you know what? It doesn't need to, and it shouldn't, it's impossible for one person to do all of this. Um, so kind of cultivating this, your own village, your own um, community yeah. of support is really essential for kind of the, the best outcomes for both parents and children. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting, you highlighted like independence and opportunity, which are things that are like very American, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, how, that, totally. how that did kind of shift us into different cultural family dynamics. So, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, probably when you. the word parenting came into. Yeah, yeah that was when we created the, the verb. I've never thought about that either. Friending, <laughs> right? I'm not very good at friending, but right. We don't say that, but it, I mean, I'm pumped to feel that, I'm sure. But it's <laughs> yeah. interesting that we use that verb. Okay, I want to ask you about mom mom guilt versus dad guilt. Because Chris and I were talking the other day. And even, I mean, how did I even meet you? It was because Brittany, my wife, said, we watched this Zoom for the North Shore School District. I think you should listen to it and join in. And I think we should have Bevan, like, help us with some, you know, bring Bevan into our life as a parent coach. Um, so in terms of content that Brittany has been through when it comes to being a good mom versus content that I've been through, to how to be a good dad. She's been through 10 times as much as I have, right? And Kristen is sharing with her husband some content and she's like, right? She's like taking all the best parts of the 25 books and 88 podcasts and then like, hey, here's my favorite. Read this one, listen to this one. And it kind of brought up like, I think both Kristen and my wife are fantastic moms and yet they're still feeling more pressure to get better and do it better than I think I feel. Um, and so I was just kind of reflecting on that. I was like, that's probably not a good thing that I'm doing less work and feeling less pressure to improve than <laughs> my wife, who's like working her tail off to be a great mom and is like, I'm not doing it good enough. And obviously we can talk about perfectionism and all those things, but I just kind of curious your take on one, do a lot of dads like reach out to you for coaching or do you find that it's mostly mothers, moms? Um, and two, like, do you think dad should feel a little bit more guilty or do you think mom should feel a little less guilty or something somewhere in between? I mean, guilty is maybe the wrong word. Motivated, I think, to be a better parent. I think partly, so some background on that. I just feel like partly because I'm, um, I, I think the standard isn't as high or the expectation isn't as high to be a good dad. It feels like if I'm just, if I'm working and I'm like somewhat emotionally available, I'm probably doing pretty good when it comes to being a dad. And so I just feel less pressure to like be, a perfect dad, if that makes sense. So I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on some of that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to answer a question about who usually reaches out to me, um, I didn't really realize, and I don't, I don't, I don't know why this came to be, I guess I could ha- throw a stab at it, but um, it's a rare thing. I primarily work with couples. I primarily work with, um, in, you know, families where there are, there's a partnership or a marriage. I typically do work with couples. I didn't realize that was unusual. Um, I didn't, set myself up. I don't market myself as a parent coach for couples. Um, I certainly have worked um, just with one parent, um, typically the mom. Um, I have worked with single parents. I've also worked with dads uh, who, um, one dad in particular I can think of, who it was part of the parenting plan that he hire a parenting coach. Uh, So there have been instances, but by and large, most of my coaching is with um, two parents. And yeah. it's, it's interesting because, um, 
what I always kind of start off as saying, you know, you each have your own individual relationship with each one of your children. And that is your responsibility. So I kind of right out of the gate, I'm like, hey, nobody gets off. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. this isn't mom versus dad. It's like, no, you each have your own individual relationship with each of your children. And um, you're responsible for that. And what do you want that relationship to be like? And, um, you know, it's how much effort are you putting into cultivating a strong relationship with each one of those children. And that's on the individual person. So, you know, how motivated someone is initially maybe to kind of really work on, um, you know, parenting or investigating why certain things are challenging, whatever, you know, I think more commonly it's the mom that sends me the email, you know, but uh, I'm always delighted when both parents are on that initial call, they have me to kind of test out and see if coaching would be a good idea for them. But I often um, do delve into like, is this something that you're both interested in? Do we want to see if, you know, your spouse or partner is available for the call and whatnot, and then see if they're willing to attend both together, or at least watch the recordings if we're doing it via Zoom. I think the thing that I found to be kind of fascinating is, um, to your point, being the moms, maybe they're often initiating this, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of like reading kind of like, um, like the participation of the dads. I have had dads that like dominate the conversations and have the mm-hmm. most to say, but I'd say it's more often a mom kind of drawing um, the dads in the conversation. This is something more often than I hear dads say like, you know, I, I, I felt like, oh, this is going to be more of that millennial parenting, ooh, feelings, oh, and like that, like I'm just not Perfect. into that. And then come to recognize like those defenses start coming down and they start realizing, huh, okay, there is some work to do here. And actually yeah. not only, you know, to benefit my relationship with my child, but to benefit me as a human and my own journey towards self-understanding and then understanding my child and children and how that can really be this potential for, you know, growth and development for, you know, both moms and the dads. So, I mean, it's a shared responsibility raising these children. It's a hundred percent on the parents. Children did not ask to be born or, you know, did not ask to enter your families and, you know, cases of fostering or adoption. It is like, it's our, it's on us. It's on us to do raising collectively however that works out within a family dynamic yeah that's great i think probably why i bring it up is i was convicted or a bit challenged i think as i'm like hearing kristen ask that question and like listening to my wife and like reflecting on how much work she's done to be a good parent and how much i think i kind of give myself a pass so maybe i'll just bring it up for the guys listening or the dads listening to be like hey just because you did like one thing better than your dad or maybe you're a little bit less like reactive and authoritarian than he was, it doesn't mean you can't improve. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go through this content. And so at least for me, I felt like, eh, I kind of wing it and give myself a lot of credit for being a good dad. And I think there's, a, I, I think I have friends that are in that same spot where like our generation a little bit is maybe a little bit winging it and feel like they're good dads. And I'm not saying you're not good dads. I'm saying you could be better and should listen to this content. You should read some books and you should improve. I think that's the, that's the rant I want to say. Love it. Great soapbox. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pass it to you, Gibby. What do you want to talk about next? Um, I don't know if this is a question, but I wanted to say to Bevan, I feel like the thing, um, one of the things that hit me the most is how you were talking about how 
changing the way that you parent may feel like a lot of effort. Um, this is like hard work to redirect and to choose to do things differently and to sit with your child's feelings might take longer, like all those things. It's like a big effort. Um, but I appreciated that you pointed out, but so is doing things exactly how you're doing and still not getting the results that you are looking for. Like that's an effort too. I was thinking about kind of really base level of like, it's a lot of work to sit with a child who's throwing a tantrum and talk with them about their feelings and try to figure out, say, I hear you, I believe you, all of those things. It might feel easier to just lock them in the room till they're done with their feelings. But that's effort too, because then the whole family's listening to the screaming and the door kicking and the like, I want to be let out, like all those things. I think it was just helpful for, for me to realize like, all of it is hard. So which one do I really want to choose? And I think I want to yeah. choose the one that is do no harm and connect because it does feel like work to connect. I was, my husband and I were talking about the, the point that you gave about like, if your kid's playing with Legos, instead of being like, Hey, it's dinner time, get down here for dinner to go and say like, Oh, tell me about this. And we were, my son happens to be very into Legos right now. And, um, I was saying to my husband, it might feel like those three minutes of engaging with him is like hard work, but so is yelling for three minutes to come down for dinner. So I, it just was a good perspective shift for me. Yeah. Not to mention the work that's needed to go into now repairing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's like, you know, that repairing when, you know, when a child has been given a timeout and sent to their room to have all these big feelings on their own. Um, it might appear sometimes, and I've had parents challenge me on that. Well, you know, my kid comes out eventually and seems better. And, you know, mm -hmm. so it works, you know, <laughs> and I, yeah, it's like, it may appear to work. And I think that's why we default sometimes to these kind of like tricks and strategies to kind of get a quick and fast and easy result, because we frankly, in those moments are mm, lacking the patience and honestly, our own maturity to actually like dig in and do what might feel a little harder in the moment, but is going to result in a better outcome ultimately. And then, you know, I, as I disclosed, I spent a lot of years in my early years, like with my kid doing the whole timeout thing, thinking um, like, oh, that's the answer. That's what told me to do thinking that was going to, you know, stop. And it, again, it appeared to work in the moment yet. It was just a cycle. We were still here. There was not a lot of improvement. Meanwhile, I was causing a lot of relational damage that took frankly a long time to kind of repair and recover from. Um, and so it's like, you know what, where do you want to put this work and effort in? You know, I stopped doing those strategies on my subsequent children and I'm not having to undo that you know, I make plenty of my own daily mistakes because I'm human, you know, but it's like being really intentional about the choices I'm making when I have the choice um, and in recognizing that kind of putting in the work in the moment when you're maybe tired or like, oh, a long day is going to pay off with less potential for work and bad feelings and a sense of disconnect that might have been created, which all is really important to recognize and give that motivation to do, do want to be harder in the moment um, to remember that you're avoiding that work. <laughs> 
Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people and so I'm going to support it and so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. From from your experience in coaching parents or just your relationship, do you do you find that you run into anybody that has like gone through this content and thought this much about being a parent before they have kids? Because I feel like <laughs> this is something that parents start to go through once they realize that they're not good at parenting or that they maybe they have areas to grow in. That's a more positive way to say it, but. I don't think I knew how much I would need to like learn about emotional regulation and like just basically I like, go to my own therapy <laughs> in order to be a good parent or to be a parent that's that's parenting effectively. Like I kind of just was raised in a family that we we grow up, we get married, we have kids, and that's like an ideal thing. Um and and I have thoughts on that being the ideal because I don't think that's ideal for everybody and the experience of parenting isn't sometimes what it's cracked up to be. People think it's going to be one thing and it's, I'll be happy once I have the marriage or the kid or whatever and that's not the experience for everybody by any means and it's certainly not our experience all the time. Um, but I was just curious if you like see people who are really thoughtful before they go into kids because it feels like I wasn't. <laughs> it feels like I went in like this is what we do and then I realized after the fact like wow I need to, I need to grow in some of these areas. Right. Um, it's, I think it's pretty rare. Um, myself included, I had ideas about what parenting was, but it was really fantasy. You know, um, I thought, um, back to kind of that, um, I think it was the very first, um, uh, segment, segment in this series talking about kind of like the carpenter, uh, sculptor parent, I mean, versus, mm -hmm. Uh, the parent that's more of the gardener. Um, I think most of us think, oh, it's just a series of kind of like, you know, molding and shaping your child to kind of be, you know, this ver version of a child you've got in your in your imagine imagination. Um, and, you know, when you have an infant, you know, for those who started raising their children from infancy, you know, it's it's fairly straightforward. It's challenging. It's exhausting. It's hard. But like, it's, it's pretty, we know what the basic needs are. And when there's complexities, you know, we know it's, it feels less confusing somehow. You're still just trying to figure out how to kind of like keep a tiny human alive, but that's kind of like the main focus there. It's when they grow up a little bit and now we've got a toddler or a preschool who have language and behavior is that all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do that shaping and molding thing. And that's what I'm supposed to be, you know, stopping the bad behaviors and encouraging the good be that's not supposed to be doing that thing 
And for some kids that are like, you know, fairly easygoing that don't have really intense personalities, you can kind of wing it and it goes pretty well, you know, and don't have to necessarily read all the books, take all the classes. Um, I once had, uh, I, I ran into um, this, uh, I, I met a like a mutual friend of a friend who asked me what it was I did. And I explained I was a parent coach and she's like, oh, come again. And, you know, it's parent coaching. It's not everybody knows. And so it was, certainly wasn't offensive or anything, but I was explaining what I did. And once I even explained what I did, she was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like why, <laughs> why, why would someone need to hire someone to help them parent. I just don't get it. And, and mm-hmm. I said like, well, you, you, you got two boys and I kind of described like, you know, the types of clients they work with and basically the types of challenges. And, you know, usually it's not parents who are raising super chill, easygoing kids. <laughs> you know, there are some kids that they are like, I thought this would be easy and it's really hard and I don't know what I'm doing. And so when I explained this mom, she's like, oh yeah, my kids are super chill and easygoing. Like, you know, they hardly ever challenge, barely can remember a tantrum. I'm like, yeah, so you wouldn't mm-hmm. need to hire a parent coach. So <laughs> yeah. You're not first, a client. <laughs> exactly. So she did get the, the, you know, the, the children she ordered out of the catalog, apparently. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I was going to say she got up. <laughs> yeah. too easygoing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but more typically, you know, parents uh, think it's going to be one thing or they expect one thing and it, they find it be challenging and then they're trying to figure it out. Um, and again, kind of going back to the idea that because we're not, you know, raising or viewing and observing children being raised among like, we don't have a lot of exposure oftentimes um, to, you know, even as a teacher, I was a teacher. Like I, I really knew like the age levels I was working with, but they were fourth and fifth graders. I didn't have a lot of experience with preschooler age children and young, you know, younger children. And it totally kind of threw me for like, I don't know what I'm doing here, even though I thought I would. So, yeah, I think it's pretty rare. I think there are some parents that might have enough knowledge or maybe have the right, you know, conditions in terms of friends and family members that might kind of give them a heads up early on. Um, I certainly gift my favorite like parenting books to friends. I used to, I don't have a lot of friends having babies anymore, but I did at the time, like read this. I don't know if they did or didn't, you know, just kind of like, Mm -hmm. let me help you get up on the right course. Um, I, I, um, I'd say the average age of child that parents come to me uh, is usually somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five. Um, mm-hmm. I don't typically get parents of toddlers sometimes. And when I do, I'm really excited because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, let's get you going in this course that will hopefully send you in the direction of being more intuitive, more um less confused, less seeking the answers everywhere. Like get to know your kid, understand them, make sense of them, understand your role, understand things that might get in the way of you being able to really connect with your child and get you going on that course. Um, That's exciting, but it's rare. It's usually parents who've been at it for several years and their children are four or five, sometimes older, but I'd say the average age is there's the the child that they're struggling with most is somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five. It's kind of got that point where like the terrible twos have turned into threes and fours and fives and what do I do? (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it instead made me think we were talking before we started recording about the wake up, the children that wake you up. Um, 
and uh, not literally in the morning, although yes. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> <laughs> there must have been overlap there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean to wake up to our area of growth? I think so, but I think it's interesting what you just said about how like there's some easygoing kids who don't challenge your instincts of parenting right away, um, and then there's like you even talked about. I think you called them highly sensitive or complex. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of made me wonder, like, I feel like all kids are complex in their own way. And all, but like the parents who come to you are usually like in the midst of the like, ah, I don't know how to do this kind of parenting. But I think the one thing I would, that I'm thinking now from what you just told me is that <clears throat> I'm thankful that I had a kid who woke me up to things I didn't want to do or challenges and things I needed to really think through, like, how do I want to do this? Because it also affects the way I'm treating my child who's pretty easygoing and how I think if I had just easygoing kids, I'm not sure I would have been as challenged to really consider how do I, like, being more purposeful and intentional. It's just the fact that I have a kid that sent me into the place of like, I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. probably made me realize I just really didn't know what I was doing with any of my kids, but the other one didn't make me feel that way. Right. And I'm so thankful to have been woken up into this, like this really matters. This mm-hmm. really like, I, I do want to be intentional and not just with the kids that the kids that are throwing tantrums, but with the ones who are seemingly easy too. Right. like there's elements there that really need to be kind of looked at also. I feel like. No, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, you're right. It's the idea that, um, you know, aren't all kids complex? Aren't all humans complex? Of course, you know, there's everybody is like a complex individual being made up of all these different components. Even those who shared, you know, the exact same DNA, identical twins are not the same. They're all so uniquely wired. Um, and so, yes, there are complexities in all, um, you know, children. And then there are those for whom they're complex, but it's much more obvious because <laughs> due to their sensitivities, they're more prone to have um defensiveness against their vulnerable feelings. Mm-hmm. And that defensiveness, defensiveness looks like behavior problems, what we categorize as behavior problems. So they wake us up because there's a lot going on there that we're having to figure out. Um, But the way I take the approach I do to coaching and this material and not being the set of, you know, one size fits all tools and techniques. Yes, there are some strategies there, but they're pretty broad in their application across ages and stages in different situations, because like it'd be impossible to give a book that gives the scenario and how to handle it for every single situation that comes up. Sometimes parents, when they first start working with me and I'm trying to help them make this big shift in how they've been approaching parenting, moving from controlling behaviors to understanding behaviors and really focusing on relationship with their children and making sense and guiding and taking that kind of more, you know, slow approach versus the quick and, you know, easy, easy, or like, way of solving an immediate 
challenge or whatever, a lot of times they say like, okay, okay, this happened. And, and I was sitting there thinking, what would Bevan do? What I even had, I worked with a series of um, friends. Uh, it was like my name got passed around with all these they were, they were parents and they'd get together a lot. They did have a little village and they all kind of started hiring me. And then they'd get together on weekends. What would Bevan do? What would Bevan do? And they joked about making a little bracelet, you know, like <laughs> WWBD. And I was like, no, it's what would you do? I'm there to kind of help make this shift. And when a certain situation happens with their child, there's a lot of different ways that you could respond that would be great. Some may be better than others, but so many ways to respond because just as unique as each individual is, so is you know the parent raising that child. So is that relationship and the bond and the way in which they connect best. It'd be impossible to like write the parenting book on every individual difference that's out there. So taking this more broad approach, just really kind of like puts the responsibility where it should be, which is for the parent to, to really look at their child, make sense of their child and their various various complexities and kind of help that child, you know, grow up, develop, reach their potential, be able to flourish. Um, our most vulnerable children are our children that are the most highly sensitively wired because they are the most prone towards defensive reactions and therefore more prone to, you know, uh, other accompanying kind of co comorbidities, things like, you know, anxiety and depression and mental health um, issues and struggles in school and socially because of that defensiveness can really prevent a child from being able to continue to grow and develop and access their feelings, which we know is required to be able to manage and regulate emotions and be reflective and change and challenge oneself. We don't want children getting stuck in this very um, emotionally immature state. So um, yes, those children are a gift. I have them, I've got four children. And I kind of, they're all sensitive to a certain degree, but I've got two that are the way more highly sensitively natured children. Um, they really have helped me grow myself up, recognize a lot of areas that I need to have growth and development in. Um, typically the things that Mm, trigger me the most. And I have the hardest time managing my own um, emotional re regulation when it comes to my children. The things that they stir up in me are the things that I most need to deal with <laughs> within myself, um, either healing I need to do or um, places I need to kind of find um, ways in which to um, kind of overcome these areas yeah. of stuckness within myself. So yeah, it's um it is a gift when you're in it in the thick of it. I know it doesn't feel that way. Um but recognizing that this is this is a journey and <laughs> there's going to be um some times when you you feel really low and frustrated but not losing sight um of the goal here which is to have this strong relationship with your child in an effort to kind of help you're, you're the best chance they have. You are their best bet at being able to uh, reach their potential. So remembering that like, that's our responsibility and it, it's hard, it's frustrating. Yes, take care of yourself. Get those therapists, those supports, those friends that you can talk about how hard this is. Don't throw that at your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It reminded me of one of my notes I wrote down, which was essentially like, here's my interpretation of what the big goal is. And I want you to like clarify it and tweak it to be like, actually, here's, here's what I think the actual goal is, Peter. But <laughs> the, the way that I understood from your, or your perspective and your approach to parenting 
you talked about soft heart and secure attachment mm-hmm. um, gives our kids the highest potential for emotional health and, and maturity. And the way that I kind of like turn that into my version of it is like the, the big goal isn't to avoid every like bad behavior or every mistake for a child. The goal isn't that they don't embarrass you or that they don't, uh, you know, that they, they look like a gad, right? That, like all those things that maybe mm-hmm. we bring to the table. The goal is that I'm in relationship with them and that I have a strong, like healthy relationship with them for the rest of their life, not from five to 18. And then we send them off into the world, but from five until we die, right? Till, until I die, I want to have a healthy relationship with my kids. Is there anything you'd add to that? Like, I think that the soft heart that would be like the ability to name their feelings, understand their feelings, secure attachment, obviously feeling loved, feeling they're bonded to their caregivers. Um, but like, is there anything you'd add to like, that's how I'm hearing it. Does that sound like your perspective? Um, yes. But I think what I would add to that is the way in which it's like the, the goal here is to have a strong relationship with my child. Um, that is almost like, um, the, uh, it's, it's not like it, in terms of thinking about like, what is the ultimate goal? That's the reward that we get to experience mm. as parents, you know, but it's not really about what do I get out of this? Oh, I got this great relation with my child, which is almost yeah. centering the parent and like, what do I get for all this ever? Oh, I got this great. And that is the truth. We do get that. That is. But the ultimate goal is really to be in in service to these human beings that uh, we're responsible for. It's really to kind of like, you know, say, all right, I, I am going to fully commit to setting aside at times my own personal needs and wants and things that I want to do in the service of raising these human beings that I have brought into this world or taken the responsibility of like that, that is really like, that is the goal is to be in service of these children. And what is best for those children is to have a strong, secure relationship with at least one more is ideal and better for everybody, but at least one. So that really is essential um, for their, the capacity for them to be able to reach that emotional health and well-being, And then the cherry on top, the like prize is like, yeah, I have this awesome relationship with a super huge, yeah. awesome human being that I helped raise. Yeah. Well, that's a good challenge. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know, going back to the question of do people like think about this beforehand, but when, when we, when Brittany and I chose to have kids, like Truth be told, I'm doing it to live a meaningful life, right? I'm having kids because I think it's going to help me at some level. I'm like, yeah, I'm excited about them, but I'm excited about me and my experience of having what I think is an ideal thing, which is kids and a family. And so then to be reminded that actually you signed up for four <laughs> humans that you need to serve well, and you need to like sacrifice your ego and sacrifice your time to learn how to like deal with your shit so that you can actually like lead them, guide them, nurture them well, as opposed to just have them fit in alignment so you can be happier. Anyways, that's a good challenge, Devin. Yeah. <laughs> a different perspective for sure. I love that. Well, I don't love it. I think I need to, <laughs> I, I mean, the ego doesn't love it. I, I think that is ideal. You're right. And I need yeah. to work to get. It's a challenge. And that's kind of the grow ourselves up piece, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh gosh, I really wanted to do this today, but mm, nope. I, you know, it looks like I'm getting some curveballs thrown at me by this child. And I have to set aside my own needs and wants in this moment to really provide what this child needs in this moment. And it's horribly inconvenient. (laughs) That's just kind of the reality. Children are just 
little inconveniences, but <laughs> thankfully they're adorable, right? <laughs> That's right. <Absolutely. laughs> I had one last question. And I think maybe unless you have any others, Kristen, we can kind of wrap with this one. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Last question that kind of comes to my mind is if any recommendations or ideas, um, and certainly I also want to give you the floor if you're like, something I missed, I doubt it. Cause you were very <laughs> thorough and you went through a tons of content. So you can like say, Hey, if you missed it, you go rewatch the talk. Um, but if you want to share anything as we wrap, certainly welcome to do so. Um, but the, the question that I was hopeful to kind of wrap up on is just your recommendations on how this can become more fluent. Um, like I, how can I, as somebody that want like aspires to grow as a parent and that my default isn't um, always discipline with dignity, right? I can do, I can fall into some of the alarm-based methods or, um, you know, the strategies, the tips and tricks that are shortcuts that are really long cuts, right? Um, but don't really focus on the deep connection and the dignity and, and, and those things. So I'm curious, like, what would you recommend to some, to our listeners who've gone through this content um, who like know they, like this is a new language for them and they need to grow more fluent and they need to become second nature. Cause I feel like even for me rewatching some of this content, I was like, ah, I'm still not close to there. I've been through six weeks with them and I've been through all this content. I'm like, nice. This still isn't always my default. I'm curious how you would encourage us to get better at that. Well, I think it can be really helpful to, um, you know, it can be overwhelming. <laughs> it can be overwhelming to kind of like, I'm going to make this huge shift and I'm going to, stop doing all these things. I'm going to start doing all these things. It can be really overwhelming. So I would say like pick one aspect of this and I would recommend really starting throw, throwing all your focus on that connection piece first and foremost, because the reality is you don't need a lot of tricks and, you know, techniques and tools when you've got the relationship working and it's in the right orientation where the parent is clearly in the lead, that alpha nurturing alpha role. You don't need a lot of these tricks and strategies and tools when that's working for you. You really don't. And so if you really focus on that relationship piece, it becomes a lot easier because you're not having to work so hard at getting our kids to do the things that we need or want them to do or to stop doing the things we want them to stop doing, it becomes just more the way things are flowing because children, mm -hmm. again, they and they instinctively, when that relationship is solid, when it is secure, when it is working, they want to endear themselves to their parents and caregivers. It's instinctive. It's not a choice. It just happens. So mm -hmm. we're really focusing first and foremost on cultivating that relationship. You're not having to do as much of the other stuff anyway. So, okay, if you're you know still throwing out a consequence or a threat here and there, if you're raising your voice here and there while you're really focusing on that relationship, that's okay. It's good enough for right now where you are in this journey. And sometimes good enough is is where we're at, you know, like, gosh, mm -hmm. we were all there during the pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, really, like maybe barely good enough um, during periods of heightened stress. So don't stress yourself out and try and do it all, all at once. Really focus. And we feel like, gosh, that relationship is great, really working. Here's when it feels like it's not, or here's where I still feel like I'm struggling. Then really focus in on why, what's that going on? That whole direction piece where you're really looking at making sense in if you do have a parenting partner or a spouse, this is a great place to kind of connect together 
And like, why do you think that's, where is that coming from? Wait, do you think it's this or that? Like be interested and curious about your children, not like these annoying kids again. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go back to threats and consequences and timeouts because that was just, at least I had something to do. No, just really get curious about your kids and their behaviors and making sense of them. Look at it as like a, you know, a cool science project that we get to solve together Um, or chatting about it with other, you know, people in your community that, you know, trust have kids the same age or maybe are, have also been exposed to this material, have also, um, you know, are trying something a bit different. Um, And then, you know, in terms of the discipline piece, you know, take a piece out, put another piece in. I broke up discipline into three parts, you know, always best to avoid conflict in the first place. So start off with some of those proactive strategies. You may have Mm -hmm. avoided some of those things in the first place and then kind of really work at um, the other aspects of how you handle things in the moment. And then that last piece, the very tail end of part two of the last segment on discipline, that reflective piece, that's something that we really could be working on right now within ourselves and our parenting that like, you know, okay, that didn't go well. Looking back, what didn't go well? What do I need to do right now? Problem solve within yourself or with your partner or other people, and then go back and and go through that process of being reflective, making amends. I'm really sorry. I said I wasn't going to throw out consequences and take away the iPad, and I did. I didn't mean to. You didn't deserve that. I take that back. Let's talk about what happened and do that all that piece, but do those gut checks. When you mm-hmm. make a mistake, you default to the way you don't want to. We're human. We're going to do that sometimes. Um, you always get a chance to repair and reset your intention again. So I think, I mean, that's kind of maybe a, a long winded roundabout mm-hmm. way of kind of getting at um, how do we do this? And I think maybe yeah. just kind of return to the material, return to your intentions and pick one thing you're going to really focus on for the next week or two, and then pick the next piece. Also, again, like a community is a huge piece. Um, It's, you know, connecting with others to stay the course, other people who've gone through this material, or um, I have a community at the 3D Parent, uh, the 3D Parent Village, where other parents who are kind of trying to um, parent this different way that have questions are still trying to understand, get a little bit more nuanced understanding of how to parent this way and hone their own skills so it becomes more intuitive. Um, so they can feel truly like the expert of their own children, which is um, the goal. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I think it's a fantastic kind of summary and challenge for us. Um, I love the quote that you you shared too. When you talk about like, if you're going to start somewhere, start with connection because you're going to avoid a lot of the conflict. Yeah. But the quote that you shared, the level of cooperation a parent gets is usually equal to the amount of connection a child feels to their parents. And I was just off the challenge whenever my kids aren't behaving, the reminder of like, ooh, I want my fluent, like if I'm fluent in this this mode of parenting, I'm thinking I need to connect, not mm-hmm. my annoying kid, right? right. Um, they're not behaving. And that's, that's, that's gotta be a shift that I have to make. And so anyways, um, I love yeah. that quote and I appreciate all this work. I'm curious, just as we're wrapping too, like if somebody has been listening to this whole series, and they like want to work with you more. Can they do that? Are you all booked up? Or like, what are other ways? You mentioned the village. Why don't you just like make your own two minute marketing campaign for anybody who's listening? Like, <laughs> sure. sell all your stuff. What, what, Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that invitation. Yeah. You know, my, my goal is really to to support parents and to support parents um, 
who, you know, who don't have means to hire a parent coach through people who have some means uh, to people who want to like, I want to invest in this and go all in. So I do have a podcast, the 3D Parent Podcast. Um, I will be restarting it um, with new content, but there's 85 episodes full of more of this good stuff that you could go and access for free at any time and, and get some more support, some more insights into all the various topics around parenting, but through this particular lens. Um, I have, um, what is that? What is that podcast? Can you call the 3d parent podcast? Okay. The 3d parent podcast. Yeah. Um, So that's a great way that you can continue immersing yourself with this information for free. Any place that, um, podcasts are streamed and a quick and easy way also is just to go to my website, the 3d parent.com has my podcast right there. And then you can kind of type into the little search, just like keywords that you want to search for. Um, I also have uh, the 3D Parent Village, like I mentioned, which is a membership uh, community. There are live calls. Um, Some of them is connecting with other community members and just sharing what's going on for you within community. And then there's also a live group coaching call. So come with your questions and I'm there to provide insights and support um, monthly. And then I also have quarterly kind of webinars, just more insight, and also access to my resource library, where it's more of this categorized by topic that every month there's new resource bundles that get added to. So that is the 3D Parent Village, and that's a smaller monthly fee of $47 a month to be able to participate in that membership. And there's a free week, so you could just check it out, see if you like it, watch some videos, um, and um, you'll find these topics on um, the 3D parent model in there as well, as well as more content information. Um, And then beyond that, hiring me one-on-one as a parent coach. uh, I've been pretty busy, but um, parents hire me for a series of sessions. And my goal is for me to kind of work with them and for them to go and continue practicing what they learn with me. Sometimes parents do hire me one-on-one occasionally, you know, oh, just have a, a brush up or there's something going on we would want to ask. But typically once they, you know, graduate, I have room for more clients. I currently have one opening, but even when I get full, it's really just a wait list of a month or two before I have more openings. Yeah. So again, you could reach out to me um, through my website, the3dparent.com and book a, a free 3D month. 30 minute um, phone consultation uh, where we could kind of talk about your challenges, see if working together would be a good match. And in any of those services that could be of help um, to parents. I love it. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for today. Thanks for this conversation and for sharing all of your fantastic insight with uh, the community. Really appreciate it. So thanks a ton. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for this opportunity and having me. Love it. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.